Good morning. So good to worship with you this morning. I've asked the, the worship team to do another song after uh, the teaching time so we can have an opportunity just to worship the Lord again and also to give you an opportunity to come forward and receive prayer from our prayer team. So that'll be happening after the service. But right now, we're jumping into a new series we're calling Come and See, and it's going to be in the Gospel of John. And so if you have a Bible with you, you can open up to John chapter 1. We'll be going through the Gospel of John um, in part 1 up until Easter, and so a great chance to bring your Bible and follow along. Otherwise, the app has uh, the Scripture there as well. The Gospel of John, we, we know what it's about because John told us what it was about. If you go all the way to the end, you see what John says in John 20, 31. He says, these are written, so what I wrote to you is, this is why, that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. And so John says why he wrote the book. It's so that we would know that Jesus is the Son of God, that he's the Messiah, and if we choose to believe in him, we would have life in his name. We would have eternal life. And so that's a big statement. John backs it up in, in this gospel. He does that by showing us seven miracles of Jesus, six of which you can't find in the other three gospels. Jesus is going to give us seven I am statements. So Jesus is going to tell us who he is. He'll say, I am, and then finish that sentence. And he'll tell us who he wants us to, to think about him, what, what he's all about. And John calls forth witnesses that testify that they now believe that he is the Messiah and the Son of God. And so Jesus is going to say, and his disciples are going to say in this chapter, come and see. And we have an invitation to do that, to follow Jesus. Now, we get invitations all the time, and we either accept them and reject them. I love what happened in San Francisco in January, and it all started with a wife calling her husband weird. We're going to put the picture on the screen of what happened. But there's a lady in San Francisco looked at her husband and said, Curtis Kimball, you are getting weird. And so she said, you need to make friends. And he didn't know how to do that. So he posted these flyers all over the telephone poles in San Francisco saying, my wife says I'm getting weird. I need to make friends. I don't know. How do adults make friends? He says, I'm making pancakes. So if you ever wondered how to make friends, that's how you do it. So on January 22nd, he's putting out a tweets and saying, just our neighborhood, come and let's get to know each other. And 75 people showed up for pancakes. He made 125 pancakes that day and they had a blast. They enjoyed getting to know each other. Say, oh, I didn't know you were my neighbor. Or I haven't seen you in so long or nice to meet you. And people were really thirsty for that kind of friendship. So he said, well, let's do it again. And so on February 12th, they had their second pancake meetup. This time everything went viral and 300 people showed up for pancakes. And they had, they had such a good time together. People accept the invitation of random strangers at times. Right? And we say, yeah, I'll go, I'll go get some pancakes. He said in, in the article, he goes, even if people don't like pancakes, they like the idea of pancakes. I don't know what that means, but people accepted the stranger's invitation. In this series, we get to choose to accept the invitation of Jesus to come and see what he is all about. We're going to be reminded today in this chapter just how much Jesus loves us and how that should drive us and motivate us to go to him and also to bring as many people with us as possible. And so first we're gonna look at, in, in John 1, verse 1, how do we know that Jesus loves us? Well, there's five ways in this chapter we see that Jesus loves us. And the first, it's shown through his creation. 
John 1.1 1, 1 says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life and that life was the light of all mankind. And so right away, we are introduced to Jesus who is called the word in this chapter. And Jesus, we're told, he's God, right? Jesus is God. We're told the word pre, pre-existed the creation, that the word created everything that we see. And each member of the Trinity was involved in the creation account in Genesis. And so this Jesus that is inviting us into a relationship with him, he is God himself. And he shows us his love through creating a beautiful world for us. God could have made the world out of gray blocks, gray like Lego and Minecraft blocks and everything. Oh, it's kind of gray and muted and okay, but hey, it's world. It's, it's, no. He created a beautiful world, right? Every, everything about this world, you think this is beautiful. Whether you like the, the beach or whether you like the mountains or whether you, you like the desert, whatever it is, Jesus created. I'm a city person. I like going to, I lived in New York City for four years. I like going to downtowns and sitting at coffee shops. But when I first went to Yosemite, I'd lived in California for you know, five or so years and hadn't visited. When I first went there and I'm on the loop and I'm stopping and looking at El Capitan and, and looking at Half Dome and all these waterfalls, there's something different about that. And you realize this is majestic, this is beautiful. God is amazing. God created a beautiful world for us to live in and he created each of us. How do you know God loves you? Is there, is there anything about your life that you appreciate? Well, God made you. Is there someone else in your life that you love? Like, oh, I love my kids, I love my sister. Well, God made them. Is there a dog that you love? God made that dog. Now you guys, I'm, now that sounds hypocritical because you guys know I don't like dogs. But here's the thing. My son is allergic to dogs. When he pets a dog or it licks him, he gets hives all over his neck and cheeks and is tearing up. And so I'm, I'm really against anything that's against my children. That's all. It just happens to be dogs, cats, and maybe a horse, we found out. But listen, whatever you love about God's creation, Jesus made that so that you could have a beautiful life with him. He shows us his love in his creation. He also shows us his love in giving us a choice about whether or not we're going to love him back. Verse 10, we're going to skip ahead to verse 10 because we'll summarize John the Baptist in a little bit. Verse 10, John says, he was in the world and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Right? Jesus is God. He's the creator of the world, creator of each person. God loves us, so he, he, he came to us and people interacted with God as they talked with Jesus and then they reject him. But he didn't force them to love. He could have come and sat on Mount Sinai with you know, fire and lightning bolts all around him and, and forced people to love him, forced people to follow him. But you, you can't force love, right? Love has to be a choice. And so for the first five years that I was married, when I moved my wife from Orange County to New Jersey, just looking at her, I'd say, she loves me. Not because she's making googly eyes with me, because she's still with me in New Jersey. Now, I know I give New Jersey a hard time. There are three things that are better about New Jersey than anywhere else. Pork roll, 
Pork roll, if you've never had it, don't even look it up because you'll be too jealous and you can't buy it in California. It's like a cross between bacon and sausage. It meets in the middle. It's a salty goodness. Um, pork roll you find in New Jersey. Bagels. Bagels in New Jersey will make you feel like it's blasphemy to order them in California. And then the third thing about New Jersey is they pump the gas for you because they want to treat you like royalty. No, that's obviously not true based on their behavior. But they figure you live in Jersey, we might as well pump your gas for you, give you a little perk here and there because you happen to live in Jersey. My wife loved me and chose me despite that. And now I just trust her that she's back in California. I just assume that she loves me. She can't prove it by being in New Jersey anymore. But love is a choice. Jesus came with us, showed us a perfect life, and people still rejected him. Love is also shown through us becoming God's children. In verse 12, we see this. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or of a husband's will, but, but born of God. We're given this hint of what we'll learn more about in John chapter three about the new birth, a spiritual birth, a second birth that we can have. And it's because of Jesus that we can be a part of God's family. Jesus could have saved us and not adopted us into his family. Like that's, that's possible. The, the entire Bible could have been written minus all the verses of us being adopted into God's family. We could be saved, forgiven, and kind of left over here. But instead, we're invited into the family of God. We're adopted into his family because he loves us. Jesus made that possible because of his death on the cross. We can be this close to God. And God's love is shown specifically through that closeness because Jesus wants to spend time with us. Verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. Jesus left heaven to come and be relatable for us. We could have tried to figure out, you know, God based on the Old Testament and just what, what he says and what he does, and we would have done the best we could, but then all of a sudden Jesus comes on the scene and we could see what he says and what he does in situations where we know what we would do and what we would say, and yet we see him reacting with grace and truth. Jesus never compromises on the truth, never compromises on God's morals. And yet he's hanging out with sinners all the time. How does he do that? Well, he's gracious and loving and he does not judge people. He saves people and he loves them. He, you see stories in the Bible where Jesus walks dozens of miles away from Jerusalem and the only other story that we get from it is that he bumped into a mother who had a daughter that was demon-possessed and he helped her. You're like, man, he went... He went a long way out of his way to spend time with this one lady. You see stories of Jesus coming into a town, the whole town's in an uproar, and then he spends the entire afternoon and evening at one tax collector's house. Jesus wants to spend time with us. He, he knows that we, we're different. He knows that we are sinners. He knows that we make mistakes, we fail, we rebel against him, and that he wants to spend time with us. I just lived a curler's dream uh, because the Olympics are on and you only get to watch the Olympics on TV once every four years and curling especially. 
curling especially because it's too small of a sport to be broadcast on ESPN in between the Olympics. So Shannon and I woke up at 4.30 in the morning to catch a live game and the same day watched a game that started at 10 p.m. because we are absolute nerds when it comes to curling. It's okay to laugh at me and we understand it's weird and odd. I grew up playing basketball, but I'm, I'm gonna die watching curling. Well, we're watching this. The U.S. didn't defend the gold medal. Uh, the women's team started good and then they lost. So no medals for the men's or women's team. But there was a commercial we saw while we were watching as a family. It was great. It was, it was a mom really hesitant to let her kid get on a school bus. And the kid gets on the bus and you can tell that he's blind and he's feeling his way along the seats and finds an empty seat and he sits down and there's all this suspense because you're like, oh no, school buses are bad. That's where bullies live. They live on school buses and they torment people and the bus driver never sees it. And so you're like, oh, this is going to end bad. And this nice girl says, hi, this is my name. What's your name? And all the kids lean over. They don't have seatbelts on. They all lean over and they're so nice to this kid. And I paused it right away and I said, kids, this is a lie. School buses are mean. They're bad places. They're bullies. And I start talking about how everyone they know is mean. And they're like, dad, everyone's nice. What are you talking about? And I'm, but my main point I was trying to make is if you see a kid that is, that is blind or marginalized and others are, are, are teasing, that's going to happen. And you need to go and become friends with them. And I said, your mom and dad will be so proud of you if those are the kids that you're saying, oh, we want to invite them over our house and, and play with them because oh, this commercial is a lie. The world is much crueler than that. They're like, hey, dad, can we watch curling? Thanks, pastor. Right? And there was a weird pastor dad moment. I'm sorry. Jesus shows us he loves us through closeness. We're going to skip ahead to verse 29 and talk about John the Baptist in a minute. But finally, his love is shown for us in this chapter through our sins cleansing. He doesn't leave us dirty. He cleanses us from our sins. Verse 29, it says, the next day, John the Baptist, not John the author, saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. John the Baptist points at Jesus and testifies and says, he's the Lamb of God. Now they looked and they didn't see a lamb. And so they had to recognize, okay, what does it mean that Jesus is the Lamb of God? And they would think back to the Passover in Exodus, which is a scary story of God's forgiveness and his provision. You see, in the book of Exodus, God was about to judge Egypt, but not his own children. And so he asked the Israelites to kill a lamb and take the blood and kind of paint it on the doorpost of where they lived. And that night when the angel of death came by, it skipped over the houses that had the blood and went and destroyed those that weren't trusting in, in God's provision there. And it's kind of a horrifying account that shows us just how bad sin is and how there always needs to be a sacrifice for the cleansing of sin. Jesus is the Lamb of God. It is his blood applied to our hearts that causes us not to be judged by God. We get the pass. We don't have to suffer the consequences because Jesus was the Lamb that suffered the consequences for us. So he shows us his love in cleansing us. Parents don't leave their kids looking dirty. How many of you hate yourselves because you actually became your mom or dad, licked your thumb and cleaned your kid's cheek at one point and it was too, you didn't think about it and all of a sudden you're like, oh no, how many of you have done that even though you swore you never would, right? The rest of you are lying. It's a, it's a bad moment. It's one of the worst moments in your life when you're like, oh, I swore I'd never be like my mom or dad and I just, I just put my saliva on my child's cheek and thought that was better it was pre-COVID, right? I mean, I thought that was better 
than a smudge mark, you know? And, but a parent is going to help their kids be clean. I'm glad I have cool slow motion videos of my kids jumping into, into puddles once every 16 years when it rains in California. They jump into puddles and it's great. They roll around in the mud. But no parent after their child does that says, all right, go to bed and lets them lay down in their filth, right? A good parent's going to say, take a bath, take a shower. And if mom's not home, jump in the pool real quick. Jump, <laughs> jump in the pool. You clean your kids. You don't leave them dirty. Jesus loves us. We come as we are, but we don't stay that way because he cleanses us. Now, who's this John the Baptist guy that we've been skipping over. He's probably offended at me. John the Baptist, we're going to put a, a photo of him now, a painting of him from the, the late 1400s by Raphael. He's the guy in the fancy, weird pink and red robe over here with a halo around his head. I don't know why there's naked babies. That seems cold and inappropriate. That's all the babies were. But why I put this photo up is because of this guy over here in the orange mustard shirt who's like this, and he's got the dad bod. And I really respect that he's not sucking it in. Right? He's not embarrassed by that. And anyway, John the Baptist here, this guy is the first prophet called by God in 400 years. There were 400 years of silence between the Old Testament period and the New Testament period where God wasn't speaking officially through a prophet. They just had to read those scriptures if they wanted to hear from God. And it was a big setup for the moment when John the Baptist would come on the scene as a prophet and be an ambassador for Jesus, a forerunner. He would be an evangelist pointing to Jesus. He did it so well and in such an official capacity that all the religious leaders said, are you the Messiah? And he's always rejecting that, saying, no, not me, but there's someone here that you don't know that is. John's own birth was miraculous. His parents, Zechariah and Elizabeth, were very old and they couldn't have kids and that disappointed them. They were always praying that. And finally, they, they did have a child in their old age and it was John. John was the cousin of Jesus and he did baptize. That's what we call him John the Baptist. He had a baptism of repentance to prepare people's hearts to be baptized in a, baptized by the Spirit when Jesus would come. And so John the Baptist's ministry is summarized from a 700-year-old predating prophecy from his existence in Isaiah 40, verse 3, that says, A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. John the Baptist made it possible for people to come to Jesus because he pointed out who Jesus was. And so we see in the rest of this chapter four different ways that people come to Jesus, either initially for salvation or afterwards and time and time again for growth, we go to Jesus. And that's going to be different for many of us. We're all going to have different stories about how we met Jesus. We see four examples in the rest of John 1. The first way that people can come to Jesus is through the preaching of God's word. As God's word is preached, people can discover who Jesus is. We see that in verse 35, where it says, the next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. So Andrew came to Jesus because of the official preaching of John the Baptist. 
John the Baptist said, look, the Lamb of God. I've been telling you about the Messiah. He pointed, and they said, all right, we believe you. But note that the preaching of John the Baptist was just the starting point. That was just the beginning. Then they followed him, asked him questions, and spent the rest of that day with him. At best on a Sunday, if I accurately point to Jesus, it's a starting point. And then the goal is that we would think of Jesus the rest of that day and week, that we would talk to him in prayer, that we would read more about him and discuss him with other people. The preaching of God's word is only ever a starting point, a catalyst for an individual relationship with God himself. And these are memorable moments. It says it was four o'clock in the afternoon exactly when this happened. Why? Because when you meet God, you're aware that that just happened. We had a family of six come over our house for, for, for lunch last week. They're probably terrified right now hearing me say this. What is he going to say? Um, remember, anything you say in front of a pastor can be used against. No, that's not true. <laughs> Only good things. And so they came over and they said, all right, well, we know Pastor Andy's testimony. He shared it on September 11th. There's a video on the website about it. But Shannon, what about you? And so she starts by saying, well... Andy's testimony is rather dramatic. Mine is different, but it's the kind of testimony that Andy and I pray our children would have. Instead of like me, where I rebelled against God and he came chasing me down, Shannon heard the gospel as she was young in her family's house. She heard about it in church. She received Jesus, recognized that she was a sinner and has tried to walk with him throughout her life. She, she's not perfect, but she loves the Lord and has, and has walked with him. And that was a beautiful testimony that I heard about her when I was getting to know her. My testimony is the kind you don't want for your kids. Be grateful however your kids come to know the Lord. But we pray for a bland testimony with our children because that's what you want for your kids. You don't want them to have the pain of all the mistakes that you make. But whether it's an initial moment of salvation or whether it's a moment when Jesus met you, in a way where you had a need and he met that need, it's unforgettable to have an encounter with God. So some people come to Jesus because of the preaching of God's word. Others come when they are invited by someone that they love. This is what we see happening next in verse 41. It says, the first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. Peter came to Jesus because of the invitation of his brother. Andrew discovered the Messiah and thought, well, what do I do next? And the first thing he did was go and find his brother, someone that he loved. He told him about Jesus and then he brought him to Jesus. Why? Because he loved him. Andrew loved his brother, Peter. He's not going to hide this fact about Jesus with him. He's going to tell him about it. What a privilege it is to be used by God to invite somebody, not just to church, but over your house, invite them to hear your story so that you can tell them about how good Jesus is. And if we're investing in relationships, if we're pouring into other people and showing them that we, we love them, they're not a project to us, we love them, then they will listen to us. I may have told you this story before, but I have a friend in New York City that we lived in Italy together for three and a half months when we studied abroad. We lived in Florence. We went to NYU together. And so he saw me in my, in my sinful times. And when I was getting right with the Lord, I felt compelled by God to tell him, hey, I haven't been living the way I should. And so I called him up all dramatic. And I was like, listen, 
we got to meet for dinner and I have to tell you something important. He goes, well, what is it? Just tell me now. I go, no, I got to tell you in person. He goes, all right, where are we meeting? And we, we meet at a restaurant in New York City and I'm kind of all panicked looking. There was nothing tactful about what I did at all, which is always a mess. And he sits down, he goes, what's going on? I go, all right, I got to tell you, the way I've been living my life, it's been selfish and wrong, but I've met Jesus and here's what he's done and, and you have to consider Jesus too. And I laid out the gospel for him. And then you're expecting at the end of that for him to be like, like, bro, easy, buddy. Like, hey, let's not talk about that ever again. But instead he said, Andy, I can tell that this means a lot to you and you're really serious. Thank you for sharing this with me. I'm going to consider this. Now, if everyone reacted like that, I would tell everybody about Jesus. But nobody, I mean, everyone you're expecting, oh, they're only going to reject me. They're only going to reject me. But if you're investing in relationships, they're going to listen to you when you say, this is important to me. I'm not judging you. I'm not coming against you. I'm telling you the most important thing that's going on in my house. And when we bring people to Jesus, there's a good result. Peter, he's given this name. He's given a new identity. We all become children of God as we enter into a relationship with Jesus. Our identity changes and we are given new names, new character, you could say. But we also see people come to Jesus when they just have a direct encounter with him. Not, not even anybody else in the way, just a direct encounter with Jesus. Verse 43, it says, the next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethesda. Now, Jesus finds Philip directly. It wasn't from the preaching of John the Baptist. It wasn't a relative that said, you got to meet the Messiah. Jesus is walking and says, Philip, you follow me. He has a direct encounter with God himself. God is obviously capable of doing this, and yet we barely ever hear stories of it. We do hear stories of it. You know, as a church, sometimes we'll get a phone call, and I've heard this at other churches as well, where somebody's just at a hotel, and they open the drawer, and they find a Bible, and they read the Gospel of John. There's obviously nothing good on TV, and so they're just like doing something else, and they read, and then God meets them. And all of a sudden, they're like, I believe in this Jesus, and they, they call a local church and say, what do I do next? And you're like, well, hold on a minute. Did you really read the Bible and get saved? And they're like, yeah, what do I do next? You're like, oh my, God just met you when you read the Bible. Sometimes God will meet somebody in prayer or even wake them up with a dream or, or a vision. These things are more rare, but they happen and God's able to do this. And it, it happened with somebody in our church in a way that I want to share with you. Last week, we were uh, saddened and surprised to hear that a, just a beautiful member of our church, Stan Monick, went home to be with the Lord in, in quite a surprising way. And so um, his memorial service is this Wednesday at 11 a.m., but Stan was just a beloved member of our ushers team, the men's ministry, life groups, always pouring into people. And, and last October, he talked with me. He said, I was, Jesus woke me up in the middle of the night and gave me a phrase. I want to tell you about it. And so I asked his wife if it was okay if I would share this text message with you. That's a picture of Stan and I at the Rod Run. I learned all about classic cars that day. Um, but he texted me this on October 12th. Thank you for taking the time to listen to my experience last night. Here is the statement. Man is defined by his depth in God, in love, in family, and in friendship. He, he, he woke up in the middle of the night and grabbed a pen and wrote all this down. Believed it was from God so much, he, he like framed it, brought it to his office and showed people he worked with. And God was basically telling him, culture doesn't define who you are. 
You, you're not valuable because of what this world says. You're valuable from my perspective, based on who I am, your relationship with me, how much you love your family, your friendship, all stuff that we see the Bible saturated with. He wrote, this scared the heck out of me. I know I am going to die, but not today or tomorrow. These words of wisdom will guide me for the rest of my time. I pray it will help others. He was right. That was October. It wasn't today or tomorrow, but it was much shorter than we anticipated. But God met him, gave him a priority, gave him a perspective that he's been sharing with others and blessing with others that we need to focus. We need to focus on the things of the Lord in this life, not be distracted away from everything. So God, God can meet us directly. And we should pray that he does, and we should pray that he does that for other people. But more importantly, pray that God would use you to reach other people, right? It's not as common for this to happen because God desires to give us the joy of being involved in ministry with him and bringing others directly to him. Now, finally, in verse 45, we see some people come to Jesus only after they've overcome some past issues, Right, we see this with Nathanael in verse 45. It says, Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? <laughs> Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see. He's, re he's repeating the phrase that, he, that Jesus has said. And he's saying himself now as a disciple, come and see. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under a fig tree? You will see greater things than that. And he added, very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Nathaniel did not like Nazareth, obviously. He immediately mocks it and says, Nazareth, it's bad. Nothing good comes out of there. And you're telling me now the Messiah, the long-awaited Messiah, is coming out of that town um, I'm not buying it. He had a prejudice against this area and he could have said, no, that's enough. I don't need to hear any more about this Jesus. And some of you had to overcome some past issues and some that we talked to will have to overcome some, some prejudice. And it could be that you were hurt by another church or you were hurt by this church and you thought, no, no, I'm, if that's how Christians act, then I'm not gonna be around them. Maybe you were raised in a Christian home, but there was such pain in that home. No parents are perfect, but maybe you just felt it was hypocritical. And so you thought, well, I see how Christians really act. That's not what I want. Or it could be that you were raised in a, in a different religion and had your own beliefs of Jesus you had to get over. Or just when you look at your life, you think, I should be in a different place. I wanted to be over here with my dreams, but I'm over here with my pain, my grief, my sadness, my hardships, my frustrations. If God were real, he would let me be over here, but he hasn't done that. So I don't, I don't want to hear anymore about this Jesus if this is where he's left me. And we have to process all of this past and decide, are we going to accept the invitation of Jesus to come and see, to come hear directly from him about who he says he is 
And as we study through the Gospel of John, we'll hear Jesus tell us who he is. We'll see others shout who he is and we'll see what he does. And it's different than what others have told us about Jesus. But this is the source of truth that we can trust. And we need to be like Jesus and be gracious and patient with those that are overcoming past issues as they come and see who Jesus is. We want to provide an opportunity today for people to come forward and receive prayer, whether that is for a past hurt or a current hurt, right? I mean, we, we come into this room with all kinds of pain and, and disappointments, and we were not made to deal with those things by ourselves. We are to bear one another's burdens. So we're going to have a prayer team available up front here. We don't do it up front so that everyone can see what's going on. We just don't have a better spot in the room for it than, than up front but we wanna provide an opportunity for people to receive prayer for anything that you came on at this property and you had a burden on your heart, then come and offload that burden. The Bible says that we are to cast our cares upon him because he cares for us. And we can do that with each other through prayer. And so why don't we stand for this last song of worship and please come forward if you'd like to receive prayer.